I want to welcome Agile XRM to the podcast. I've known the people at Agile XRM for the past 12 years. I've seen how their business process management tool can add massive value to complex organizational processes in sectors such as finance and government. If you have complex processes or a need for dialogues on the Power Platform or Dynamics 365, take a look at how this BPM tool can add value. You can find them at agilexrm.com or check out the show notes for more details. Hi everyone, welcome to the Power Platform Show. Today I've David Kohar on this episode with me. He's been on before. I'll touch on the episode he's been in in the past, but I really wanted to have a chat with him about his Ascentium days, which is the very early time of Microsoft Biz Apps really starting out with their CRM products. And of course they had their ERP products in play at that time as well. But yeah, we uncover kind of what happened back then, but also where is the future? What's happening this year in 2020 and beyond? And really, you know, as someone being 20 years in this space, he has some interesting insights that we get to share. But before we get started, I just want to talk about MapTasker, an ISV that I've been working with. I like the innovative way their solution allows businesses to bring ESRI ArcGIS data into Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform. When I was a consultant, I often worked with organizations that would have large ESRI ArcGIS environments and always wanted a quick and easy way to be able to combine this rich geospatial data with Dynamics. We'd often find it difficult and complex trying to find the ways to combine that data. MapTasker, on the other hand, makes it easy. As the only current off-the-shelf solution available today that combine ESRI data with Dynamics, MapTasker fills a gap many organizations have been looking for. If your organization is using ESRI and Dynamics, or you're working with a client that has ESRI or Dynamics and would like to know how you can easily bring these two sources of data together, then give the team at MapTasker a shout. Email them on hello at maptasker.com and arrange a demo today. Now, let's get on with the show. Remember, full show notes can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 174. David, welcome to the show. Mark, thanks again for having me. Well, episode 46 was the last (laughs) time that you were on the show with me. And just to give our listeners an idea of how long ago that was, this is episode 174. So it was a good long while ago. It was. Wow. I'm going to have to make sure I'm hitting every 130 episodes. (laughs) <laughs> we discussed the dynamics business practice at the time and kind of like your history of building multiple practices. But today we, we want to kind of look at, I suppose, the early days. I didn't realize that you had at that time such a, a founding role in Microsoft business applications back then called Microsoft CRM. And so it'd be good to kind of uncover that. And then, so that'll that'll be our trip down memory lane, a bit of history, but then Let's get into looking what the modern partner is based on what you're observing. What does 2020 look like and the opportunity, how when, how Microsoft is evolving so incredibly rapidly. And of course, it's really causing partners to need to evolve as well as part of that. So how does that sound? Yeah, that sounds like a great agenda. So before we get underway, just for listeners that might not have come across you or heard of you or or know where you come from, what part of the world do you hail from and kind of what's your 
Jedi mind trick skills and stuff that you have in this Microsoft business apps ecosystem. Excellent. So currently we reside here in Woodenville, Washington, just uh, just outside of Redmond, where most people will, of course, know where the where the Microsoft mothership is. But I, and you probably might tell eventually from my accents, I'm Canadian. And so I was born and raised back east and ultimately traveled and made my way out to the West Coast and worked for a, a actually a CRM software company up in Vancouver, Canada, and got transferred down to the Seattle area. And that was, gosh, that was like the year 2000. So literally 20 years ago and pretty much have been in the in the Washington area ever since. So that's the geography answer. And my mm-hmm. Jedi tricks, I don't know. I'm going to have to come back to that one. You're going to have to give me a, you guys give me a little time to think <laughs> through to my, think my, think my about- lo- I guess it's been more my longevity than anything. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. That's interesting. So 2019 is behind us. You know, we've seen the mm-hmm. rise of the power platform. We've seen more applications added to the BizApp suite of products than we've ever seen in our history of, you know, being in this ecosystem. What were your big takeaways for last year? Yeah, I think that's one of the big ones is that, you know, now the portfolio, I believe, is in the 29 or 30 range. And that is, you know, that's a real proliferation from where we were back gosh, even three, four, five years ago. So I, I think there's been some really interesting headway by the by the product teams on a number of fronts. I think on this whole really concept of moving from being very focused on the system of engagement. And you know, I know we we even jokingly hear the sort of the system of oppression mm-hmm, comments mm-hmm. that get made once in a while to this more of a how do we thinking through this the the solution and the more of the insights around the solution itself. And I, that's really of course been a big I think turning point in 2019 and I think is going to be the North Star for 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So you know, one of the reasons for setting up the show is that Aaron Elder was on some episodes ago and, you know, you you say you moved or you got into, into the space around 2000, particularly moving in, into the US. Tell us, what were those initial companies that you were involved in? Because, you know, I got involved in 2003, which was CRM 1.2 and CRM 1, had, it was at the end of that 2003, at the start of that year, you know, CRM 1 had come out. Tell us a bit about your what what was happening in your world around that period and what were the companies you're working for? Yeah. You know, Mark, when we started our first partner business, it was it was late 2002. So it was technically before 1.0 launched because it launched on January 2003. So we were coming in at the beta 1.0 period. We had a couple of beta customers to get things kicked off and frankly, our team got assembled from a from a former company that I was was with that it was really going through a difficult time in that you know in that era of late 2002 of course the economy was shrinking exactly and, and CRM was getting cut off all um, the dot com, com dot com stuff was happening right all the was falling over yes and so the so the interesting thing was we saw a real opportunity with Microsoft coming out with their solution to take this group of people that really already knew CRM and the concepts of CRM and and apply them really to the to what Microsoft was now coming to the you know to the market with. So we built up a company pretty quickly and for the first year or so you know really focused on not just 
getting people successful with CRM 1.0, but it was really around how do you navigate this very early stage solution that's in the market that had a lot of promise, but certainly there was functional areas that were, I'll call it safe to go in and really work with a customer to implement. And then you, as you got further out on the edges, you wanted to be very careful with what you were you were doing. So those early days were were really interesting ones for sure. We had some, you know, we still ended up with some successful customers that we we had and it really became the foundation for really getting into the into the Microsoft ecosystem. So that led to 1.2 releasing and then around middle of 2004 I joined a company at the time called Ascentium and we didn't have a, a CRM practice, so I started the started the practice there and joined, let's see, the team really sort of grew and we around 2007, about three years into it, we made a decision to acquire a firm called Invoke Systems. And that's where I met Jason Hunt and Aaron Elder and a few others that were the, the founding partners of Invoke, Mark and Michael, that's when the four of them had started their Microsoft CRM practice, they actually had a very deep, deep root back into the product team. So in fact, Aaron and, and Jason, I think as you well know, and I'm sure Aaron talked a bit about that, they had actually been on the original product team. So fast forward, we brought the, the Invoke Systems team on board, and then we ended up about doubling the size of the of the team from 2007 through 2010. And then ultimately our division, our CRM division at Ascentium was sold off to Avanade, which, which they, you know, sort of took off from 2010 onwards. So that was a little bit of background there. It was a great opportunity to work with some fantastic people. Aaron being one of my absolute favorite people to have worked with Back then, uh, we went through some pretty big, big projects, and it was still, as you, as you well know, because you were in the in deep into it at that point as well. That you know, it was still a little bit of early days on the product. But you know, if you, Mark, I'd be curious to get your feedback on this as well. But one of the things I think was really interesting about that time was that there was the really the mindset from people like Aaron and and Jason and others that this solution actually was a really good low code, no code business application platform. And that's how we talked about it a lot of times internally and to our customers. And in fact, we had done a fair bit of work with with government agencies and non-traditional CRM companies with the solution itself. And as you know, there was still at, at that time, at least inside of Microsoft, there was just some there was some competing products really to being ordained the you know the business application platform for you know from Microsoft and so it never did get the full legs that it deserved back then i know xrm had some legs for a while but it really you know just got pulled down i thought from what that promise could have been so power apps <laughs> in 2019 and 2020 could have been could have been 10 years into the you know into the making by this point so Great, great sort of things that happened back there for sure. So you mentioned XRM. Why, why do you think, right? Microsoft came out at around the, that time with a very strong XRM story. And then there was a bit of leadership change. And I'm not saying that that was, was it in totality. But all of a sudden, Microsoft internally seemed to want to distance themselves from this term XRM. There was kind of a feeling that, no, we just produce apps like sales, customer service, et cetera, and CRM as it was then, 
we don't produce a platform. And part of the my understanding at the time was there was a, a bit of upset around, you know, we have Visual Studio as our software development platform. We have SharePoint as a development platform. We don't need another one, right? We don't need XRM. We don't need another one. It was internal compete. What are your thoughts around what was, why was this on again, off again type type thing happening with that XRM story to, you know, now history being played out, of course, the entire power platform is is you know it's it's not XRM it's the definitely the next iterations of it but it's definitely you can see its foundations in the concept of XRM. Oh, of course, yes. I think it frankly, market just comes back to those in those days, and and ultimately there was executive decisions being made at Microsoft in terms of, like you said. Is it SharePoint is the business application platform of the future? Is it CRM that's the business application platform of the future? Is it, you know, is it more this development platform that's that's where we want to be our spearhead? And I just think in the end that my you know the the CRM team did not, you know, they did not win the day in that particular, you know, in that particular meeting as if, you know, not knowing that there was a meeting, but you can just sort of look at it from that historical standpoint and say there was a there was definitely a, a shift and a fairly swift one to move away from this being just a, a, a low-code platform to one that's more focused, like you said, on discrete business process capabilities like sales process, like customer service and whatnot. So Yeah, yeah. And of course, the platform we have now, you know, which is very strong decorative development, which is what we were brought up on back in those early days, you know, put your field where you want it, you know, put the parameters in and, you know, lay out your screens and whatnot. And we have that like on steroids nowadays. What's your perspective from your Ascentium days to now, which is what, 15 odd years, around about 16, maybe, how has the technology evolved and what are kind of your key highlights for why it's now kind of smoking the competition in the space? Yeah, good question. You know, I, I think that the the principles, a lot of them are are still similar. I th- I think that the a couple of probably big things that that happened, if you look back at this at the history of how this process has gone, I think that when you know James pulled together really the power platform being what we think of as dynamics plus, you know, Power BI and sort of taking that more holistic view. And really, that was probably one of the bigger, I'll say, pivot points where this whole concept of we need to drive a lot more insights and visualizations into the into this process and get away from these, you know, forms and systems of engagement that that have been our have been our have been our mainstay. And I think, again, the focus of things like bringing in LinkedIn and some of these other applications where you're extending really the the solution in a pretty significant way and pulling in data and insights was truly i think one of the big the one of the big changes i think for moving forward i think we're going to see how you know ai is going to play a much bigger role in in all these solutions moving forward and certainly we're past the toe dipping in stage as we're seeing some you know some early stage good results but i you know i i think of that pivot point when james pulled together the collection of technologies at microsoft that was probably one of the biggest changes from you know our earlier days in the 2010 to 2015 period yeah yeah one final question on the sentium kind of 
you know, at that time, what sticks out to you as the big highlights of that period in your career and not just your career, but also the company you're working with and what you were seeing from Microsoft through that period with CRM? The things that stick out to me the most actually were that we had probably 60% of our business was actually non-traditional CRM work. And so, you know, it was actually maybe even higher than that, you know, 70 plus percent. And we started to actually work more on balancing that with the with the traditional workloads of sales and marketing and customer service in particular sales and service at the time and you know if i think back to that it was the the fact that we were working with some of the these large government agencies and they were actually really embracing both microsoft you know crm as we were calling it at the time and sharepoint and pulling the two together in that structured and non-structured type of platform to do some really innovative things that, you know, we'd ultimately built some solutions around for, for the, for the military in particular. So it was interesting watching these like literally 5,000 seat deals coming in the door that were for like the military or for a government agency. And it wasn't a, you know, a, a Salesforce automation project. So I think that was one of the biggest things that stood out is that we proved that this whole business application platform, low code concept was a, was an enormously, you know, valuable concept even back then. And then, you know, I think the other big thing was looking back at it is that Microsoft always had dynamics as a, you know, as a separate division. And I think that early stages, that was really good. And then there was that moment, you know, or period of time where, I think it was probably just as difficult being a separate division and unit as it was being immersed within, you know, within the actual operating units themselves and being a much, you know, from a field sales standpoint and execution standpoint, just a, a much easier play for sure. So I think there, you know, we went through that awkward, I suppose, teenage years, you know, thing that that Microsoft went through and and I you know I think now being over on the other side of it and how the maturity of business applications being threaded into the core of the platform itself has been you know has been a great it's been a great benefit to our customers and to Microsoft and to the partners themselves yeah yeah you know, it's interesting. You talk about the biz apps products being off to, to one side and, and yet the stories that we've clearly heard through the, the previous 12 months is around, you know, three clouds, Azure, Office 365 and Dynamics with Power Platform now. Do you see that this is just a massive emerging market that a lot of companies are waking up to the idea that, hey, we need to move as many of our business processes into a digital medium that is repeatable, scalable, that type of thing? Or is it another, you know, part I hear is that, you know, Office 365 penetration is an all-time high, same with Azure, you know, is is capping out. Is this kind of the big new greenfields opportunity, as in, in your mind, the, the power platform, even though we're saying it from, you know, being in it for, as you say, 20-odd years in your case, is it still really like the now the breakthrough opportunity for either new partner type organizations or, you know, consultants that are going to start going out on their own as they start, you know, spotting the opportunity for themselves? I mean, just saw Yuka, an MVP up in 
Finland this week announced, and you know he's been partner side for actually it might have been customer side for ages, and you know he's starting a brand new business, a brand wow. new yep. practice just dedicated to the power platform. And I think that you know I was saying it a bit last year. I think we're going to see more and more more senior consultants go. You know what? I think there's an opportunity to start a, a new type of practice, a modern type of practice. So going back to those three clouds, is this is are we seeing this from Microsoft because? It's such a massive opportunity ahead to even convert a lot of those Office 365 slash Azure customers over to the platform. I think it is a big opportunity. I know that right now there is a significant emphasis on Power Apps and and just the and just the popularity of of the whole platform concept and and the you know everything from the citizen developer to really these you know these large organizations that are saying we've got a ton of you know I'll even say not even necessarily simple business processes but business processes that we would just rather not build into our our big ERP system or our big you know front office system and so i you know i just see there being a significant opportunity there i think it's i think that's even you know a discrete and positive opportunity in and of itself. I think what you know Microsoft has done is to really promote this concept of three cloud and the R and D that they're doing to make those those solutions work well together. I just think more and more organizations are seeing the thing that we would expect to see, which is that in you start to look at any individual solution out there, you know, Salesforce, you know, sales cloud versus Microsoft's Dynamics 365, you know, sales. And what you're seeing is, of course, that Microsoft has, you know, has so significantly caught up that you get to this parity game. And now we're in that, we're now in that, you know, each one of them can, you know, bring out the next, you know, thing that makes them a little bit better in this area. And then, you know, it gets masked by something else. So I think that whole concept of looking at some of these, these solutions in isolation are the, on any given quarter, one's better, you know, one might be a little bit better than the other one based on how you're trying to do the evaluation. But I think when you start looking at it and saying, the fact is that we don't need just our salespeople to do these five things, we actually need them to be collaborating across this entire group. And when we start looking at it more and more broadly in terms of our business needs and not just looking at a discrete business process, that's when I think the organizations are, you know, providing Microsoft such a huge opportunity because Microsoft is saying we're building out the three cloud structure that works well together and it covers this larger swath of business processes that that just, you know, make it easier for you to go and implement. And I think that that's, I think the smart, you know, the smart money for a lot of these organizations is for them to, you know, turn to a company like Microsoft and say, you do the R&D on making all the stuff work together and we'll take it the last mile and make it specific for our business. And I think we're seeing that pay off. I like it. I like it. Okay. Let's, let's do a bit of crystal balling and and looking Uh to the future. If we're sitting here and it's 2021, you know, the kickoff Q1 2021, and you look back at the, the year that's just been, what, what do you see? What, what do you think your observations, what, what's this year going to be known for in your mind? Three things. Power apps will have a significant breakthrough in penetration into organizations. I think it will get far enough along where people will both 
recognize the value of having this this business application platform, this low code solution. And the ones that get you know far enough along will also realize the perils of having these solutions so easily be spun up by you know individual we'll call them citizen developers or individual organizations. So I think the you know quickly people will say we need to have we need to build structure and governance and you know programs around this so that we are running these things smoothly and we're not turning our you know our systems into the wild west. So I think we're going to see that be a huge theme this year. I think the second thing is that we'll start to see the turning of the tide of people focusing on the system of engagement to people really leveraging that concept of that system of insight and being a much more data-driven business as we go. I think we're, we've got so many great examples of it. I think this year will more and more be that year where you will, you'll stop asking these lofty questions about your, your business that people just sort of sit around and, you know, hypothesize and they'll go back and just say, let's, Let's go. What's the data telling us? I think that will be a, this will be the year that people will will ask that more. And then the third one, and it's sort of coupled with the with the second one, frankly, is I do think that we're going to see the the AI projects starting to turn really, I'll say, a valuable return on investments. I think we're, you know, we've been tracking this closely because we're doing a fair bit of this work ourselves with our customers. And frankly, you know, Mark, if you go back and start doing research and you look up, like I was using this very specific search criteria of, you know, artificial intelligence for sales. And I started looking back on it. And if you go back to 2015, 2016, 2017, it's all around the super hyped, excited, you know, this is going to be the thing. It's all going to be great. And then you get into, you know, 18, you know, 19, and you start sort of seeing that little bit of trough of despair of people saying, oh, it's, you know, it's not actually working out and people are tricking the data and they're putting in the wrong results to, you know, to make this thing not work. And you're starting to see a lot more of that kind of fodder. And now I think this year will be the year of how do we make AI initiatives really work with the, in the, you know, if we're doing with the sales organization, for example, work with the sales organization and not to replace the sales organization or not to do these sort of very lofty future things. It's more of, we need to build out this project and this process that makes that team over there, you know, 25% more effective than they were last year. And so I think that that'll be the year of AI becomes a pragmatic and then a much better, you know, applied and implemented concept. Yeah. So if I got that right, you had, we're going to see three things, penetration in companies where we're going to see the platform really come to the fore and a lot of, lot of business processes get migrated to the platform and a governance layer robustly put around that. We're going to see systems of engagement really becoming systems of insight and really data driven. So, you know, which has been a concept that many companies have wanted for years, this idea that we make decisions on data, not just on I feel. And then the, the last one, the AI projects, right? Value and return on investments of AI. And yeah, I think I totally agree. I think we're going to see a lot more creativity around the use of AI. I think, you know, last year launched a massive, you know, positive way for people with no AI skills to get going. And I think this year, I agree, we'll, we'll see an extension of that. What what does that mean from the way you look at a practice and the way in, in looking within your company now? Have you changed 
who you're hiring as consultants? Have you changed how you're going to market in any way? Yes and yes. I would say that on the on the way we go to market, let's start with that one first. We have just recognized that we have got to lead the way in how we both market to, work with, and even solution with customers around this you know, this very much this data-driven mindset. So we, you know, we tend to use and, and get people thinking in this concept of what's your data IQ and how are you improving the way that you're thinking about leveraging your data to actually inform you to make those, you know, those next best steps and that they're driven off of some evidence. And then I think there's been two things. One, from a, from a hiring standpoint, I'd say that what's nice about the fact that Power Apps is going to have such a, an explosive year is that we do already have this built-in skill set from our teams that have been doing Dynamics you know, 365 and or you know, prior to that. But you know, the, we've got the built-in skill set to go and, and build out our and continue to build out our Power Apps practices. I think on the I think frankly on the the new hiring side that we're seeing the most of is really around people with data and and data science, you know, analyst type backgrounds. And that's where I think that's where the big, you know, the big demand is going to be here for for 2020. What advice would you give to consultants, so people in our businesses that are that are filling the different roles and looking at where they should spend their time and upskilling in this coming year. And I know there'll be unique nuances for different roles, et cetera. But if we could use a broad stroke, what would your recommendation be? Yeah, I'd, you know, I'd say go back to where the go back to where the three big things are going to be. Power apps is going to explode and people are going to both want to build more of them, but frankly, understand how to build the governance and programs around making that actually work holistically. You're going to see a lot more insights-led initiatives. And then finally, AI starts to really land some some good ROI. And I think, frankly, for any consultant, any person, and the way we talk about internally for our teams is continue to research and educate yourself and get exposed to those three core areas. It's, you know, it's super interesting to to continue to see what Microsoft does on the system of engagement side because they come up with some nice, you know, business process capabilities and keep yourself up to date on that. But lean into the into the insight side of this this business because that's where it's gonna go. Nice. I like it. Okay. One last thought around future. Five to ten years out. I know that's a big looking range. Where do you reckon we'll be? Five to ten years out. So twenty thirty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. In 2030, I reckon I'll be retired. I'll start with that. Same here. <laughs> I think that we will be sitting on the sidelines, Mark, fascinated by the way in which the technology has evolved so much. Uh, you know, thinking about things around how voice and how AI and whatnot will impact these solutions way more than they have in the past. I think that the one thing that we'll always come back to is the thing that we've we've seen pivot and then over pivot against is that people get so fascinated by the technology and they lose sight of what their you know what the business metrics what the business imperative actually is that you're trying to trying to achieve and so we'll I bet we'll see a little bit of the technology enamorment take over for a bit and then we'll come back to the you know, the reality of 
what we're still trying to as a you know as an organization trying to do a more effective job of how we sell and market to our customers so how is the technology being applied in that in that way but i think you know 10 years from now the only thing i can you know guarantee is that what probably will be the most you know innovative and effective social media outlet what might be the most effective way of doing marketing and sales may not have even been invented yet so i know that's the one thing when you look back to even 10 years ago and knowing that everything is going much faster just think about the fact that we were we were you know 10 years ago we were really in the infancy of a lot of the social media capabilities and look where we are today yeah yeah valid as an example so okay let's think about microsoft for a moment you know they've changed a lot in the last 20 years specifically in the microsoft business application space what have you seen if you like mean their key pivots and what are your thoughts on their goals around 2020 i had hayden stafford on recently he's got around 500 million to spend in 2020 on sales go to market for biz apps and that's on a i think in 2019 he had around 60 to 80 million so that's a, a massive uptick, right, in, in investment and growth of the channel. What are your thoughts on Microsoft and how they're going to market in this space? Yeah, and we're witnessing it here, you know, firsthand. I think that Microsoft is making a very bold statement and they're making a very bold approach to this this marketplace in the next 12 you know, to 18 months in terms of the hires that they're doing and they're they're going to have a significant, you know, higher number of people that are, you know, feet on the street, focused on customers, focused on what they're what they're trying to achieve, and you know, I it will drive, it's going to drive a significant more level of interaction and and you know and and as you know, it's going to drive a significant number higher number of volume of opportunities and different you know just a different scale than what they've they've had to date so as a partner of course you know we have to be mindful of how does that impact us especially our our, in our case elogic is a very focused you know organization on on the biz apps and analytics and iot space and so we are and we just focus on manufacturing customers so we're seeing the you know the that investment though being put into into the field and it's going to impact getting in front of more manufacturing customers and so we need to continue to scale right along with Microsoft to make sure that we're able to be there side by side with them to provide the most effective uh, really the you know interactions then with those manufacturing customers so in the end we are ecstatic about the investment they're making that investment we're starting to see we're starting to see some of the exposure to it as those people are being hired on and onboarded and actually working on some opportunities and shadowing deals. So we're seeing, you know, already some of the some of that investment landing in the field. And you know, we expect that probably by July, August, September, like Q1 of their 2021 year is when we're going to start to probably see some of the, the the revenue and some of the impact that it actually has. Yeah, so true. What do you think is the biggest value and opportunity being a Microsoft partner? Well, and I think the the value prop has that's probably one thing that stayed fairly steady here, at least over my you know my eighteen years in the in the channel, and that is that Microsoft will continue to stay true to having a very very focused partner 
ecosystem. They are very, you know, have always been a very partner friendly organization and continue to scale and grow through partners. And so I don't see that, I, it's, you know, I don't see that mindset ever. Well, maybe, you know, at least we've never seen it change and it continues to work well for Microsoft. It continues to work great for, for us. So they've been always been a very partner friendly organization and good one to work with. So I don't see that that part changing. Yeah, yeah. Recently, you know, Satya came out, I heard him, you know, talk up Steve Ballmer around it was Steve Ballmer's idea to get into the cloud and Azure and things like that. And once again, blows me away at Satya's, you know, humility in, you know, not taking credit because a lot of people credit, you know, of course, Microsoft's massive rise in the last period of time since Satya has been CEO of the organization to to what he's done, but he was standing on the shoulders of people before him. And I I'm always impressed when when you know someone now that probably doesn't need to shout out the successes of the the previous people do. What are your thoughts on Satya? You know, I think that it was a tremendous change in leadership. I think that the timing was right. I think the 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 Bill and Steve leadership approach and everything. I think obviously served the company well for many, many years. I think this was the right timing to make this shift. And it just, you know, I I have to say that frankly, just the the level of of empathy, I think the ability to work with the Microsoft field has even gotten that much better as as such as come on board. And I just think the culture continues to become, you know, even stronger. And so, you know, that concept of partner friendly has always been there. I think the way that people work and the way that they interact, the way that they are showing empathy for customers and for for each other, I think is is actually, you know, paying off and I think it it allows for change to happen a little bit more easily. I think that's where, you know, you get into some of these environments and if you do want to have this massive amount of change, you know, sometimes the the fact is that you know that it's not going to be, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be smooth and there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. So if, you know, if you've got a more open and accepting, you know, environment to allow those people to go out more on a limb, to take more risks, to you know, know that they're not going to get, you know, thrown off the bus for, for making a mistake that I think that's, that's what we're seeing as far as a couple of grand things. One is just the amount of change that they've been able to drive through the organization and the amount of collaboration that, that happens within that organization, which, you know, back to your whole earlier point of you can't have three clouds that don't work together. And that could have been quite possible, you know, if you continued to have the silos that you would have had in the past. Yeah, exactly. So three other names I just want to give you, Alyssa Taylor, Hayden Stafford, and James Phillips. You know, these three have been working together and and make up the senior leadership of the BizApps ecosystem. In the past, previous to them, we've not seen all leadership work so well together. They seem to have an amazing working relationship that's enabled this massive rise in success that Dynamics BizApps, a power platform, has received. What are your thoughts on these three individuals? Well, I think they've done a, a you know really nice job of taking this business to that next level. I think from a you know start with start with R and D and product. I think we've again for the amount of innovation we've seen, the amount of amount of really structure and organization that we have come to expect from 
from James and his team has been outstanding. I think you know Hayden and Alyssa do more on the sales and go-to-market side have really expanded the the way that really the world looks at business applications for Microsoft. And so I think we are getting past one of the probably our biggest challenges for the first number of years was that people didn't really know that Microsoft was in the game for business applications. Right? Remember those days of when you would be in these discussions and people would literally say, I didn't even know Microsoft had a CRM solution. And you're thinking, wow, we've been at this for whatever, 10, yeah. 12 years. I mean, <laughs> is it because like literally this person just has not looked on the internet or is it because that, you know, that's just been the best kept secret. And I think Hayden and Alyssa and their teams, of course, have, have broken through on that and really ensured that whenever people are evaluating these business application platforms in a lot of ways that that Microsoft is is you know almost always considered one of the you know one two three top contenders so that's that's been huge yeah if you're a consultant to Microsoft partners in this ecosystem that we operate in what's three key bits of advice you would give them that they next need to execute on correctly to be successful as Microsoft Bazet partners? If we're talking about the, the individual consultants themselves, again, I, I- I'm talking about the companies, more the companies. Oh, the companies. Yeah, mm. the, the things I guess that are, you know, again, be critical of is, I'll come back to my, you know, my top three for 2020 in a lot of ways, but you look for what is, what is the market doing? What is Microsoft doing to move the market? So in some cases, Microsoft can move the market. In other cases, you're looking for those market trends. And I think that those are the three that I see being being undeniable for 2020. And so as an organization, how are you getting your, as a, as a consulting partner, how are you getting your arms around delivering power apps to your customers? How are you leading with insights and being able to be really the consultant or the company that can help your customers become more data-driven in how they, they run their businesses? And then third is, how are you getting past sort of the hype of AI and actually getting AI projects implemented with your customers in a way that's actually getting them true ROI and value? And so I think those are the those are maybe my three key takeaways. I like it. I like it. Okay, let's switch to some quick fire questions before we wrap up. Are you ready to face the, yes, the random I am. questions? Come on. Yes. Okay, I, here it is. What's the biggest purchase you've ever made? A house. Cool. If you could instantly be an expert in one subject, what would it be? Wine. <laughs> nice. I like that. Descri- <laughs> Describe your worst date ever. You might have to go back in time for that one. Oh my gosh. My worst date ever. I'll go back way in time. I guess it was having to go on a date that was a hiking date and my date actually about a quarter of the way through the hike could make it any longer. Wow. So actually maybe that was maybe that didn't turn out to be the worst thing that could happen, but that's <laughs> the one that pops up in memory. How's that? Yeah, that's good. What is a mistake people often make about you? What is a mistake people often make about me? Yeah. Or maybe a misconception, is that your? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. misconception's good. I would say that people sometimes don't realize my intensity because I have a pretty laid back personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. It's like the still waters run deep type thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's one thing you did that you wish you could go back and undo? That's a bit deep, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there we go. I wish that... I could go back and have made 
more investment in Microsoft's stock in 2015. <laughs> Wouldn't we all, right? <laughs> oh, so true. So true. Final question for you is, would you rather explore space or the ocean? Oh, ocean. Wow. Okay. Okay. No ambitions for Mars then? None yet. I'm going to let Bezos and company sort that out and then I'll just be a participant. Elon. E Elon will get there first, I reckon, if anyone's going to do it. But I haven't watched too much what Bezos is doing in his space endeavors. David, it's been great to have you on the show. Before you go, if people want to kind of follow what you do in the digital arena, what you've got online, how can they do that? Absolutely. Best place to hit me up online is on LinkedIn. So David Kohar, K-O-H-A-R. I am the only David Kohar on LinkedIn. So you should be able to easily follow me there. And that's where I like to place most of my, my social media attention. So that's where my thoughts and opinions all go. Hey, thanks for listening and joining us on the Power Platform Show. Full show notes for this episode can be found at nz365guy.com forward slash 174. I'm your host, Business Applications MVP, Mark Smith, otherwise known as the NZ365 Guy. If you'd love to give me some feedback, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn Messenger. It's the best way to get hold of me. Otherwise, bye for now.